tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. We are at episode 300. Who would have thought more than three years ago that we'd still be rocking and rolling? I just started a podcast thinking this will be something fun to meet new people and talk to people in the middle of a pandemic. But it's turned out to be a worldwide party every week and sometimes several times a week. I can't get uh, control of myself. So uh, we're going to be joined by a few of my uh, previous guests. I want you to meet Marlene Sharp. Uh, You probably remember Marlene uh, from episode 227, because I know all of you keep track of every episode and what number it was, uh, February of 2023. I also have Nikki Nash, uh, author of a book we'll talk about in episode 138 from November of 21. And Boris Meshkov is joining us from uh, Thailand. He's a filmmaker and video producer. He was in episode 144, again, in December of 2021. Uh, Just think about where you were. So welcome, everybody. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to everyone. Yeah. Nikki, maybe we could get started with you. We Back then, we were talking about a new book, which now it's been out for over two years, but a new book, Market Your Genius. How are you doing marketing your genius? I'm doing well. It was, I think writing that book and releasing it into the world is still one of my favorite things that I've ever done. And it was so much fun. And I really, I got the opportunity to meet you because of it, because I made podcasting a strong intention. So we're, I feel like an OG now when you're going back, I'm like, <laughs> we were 21. there when it all started. Oh, but yeah. Well, but I also think good. about, uh, you were Barbie pink before, uh, pink was really a thing. I remember your backdrop, your book cover. Uh, I think you might've even been wearing a pink outfit, but you were all in Barbie pink before it was the thing. I was. And what's so funny about it is apparently pink became my color because I had these pink blazer that I always wore to conferences. And I think I had these pink pumps that I always wore, not at the same time, but I had, I always apparently had something hot pink on and I never really thought of it. And then people started saying that when they thought of me, like when they heard Nikki Nash, they thought of hot pink. And so I originally went with a different cover for the book. And then I shopped it around my book publisher. They had someone do some cover designs. I think it was orange. I showed it to people and they're like, when it's not you, like you're pink. (laughs) I was like, all right, looks (laughs) like we're going, I had to call them back and say, I know I told you I did not want a pink book, but apparently my audience is where the heck is the pink? So that's right. We got to give the people what they want. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I need this book to be pink. I'm sorry that I steered you in the wrong direction. I love that. And it was all to support your coaching practice and your other uh, business endeavors. Uh, Did you find the kind of lift you were and the credibility? People say sometimes the book is the calling card or the entree to bigger things. And then combining that with a podcast. Yes, absolutely. I think for me, there's definitely the book has definitely opened up other opportunities for me. I think just Hay House is my book publisher. And so just that in and of itself has connected me with really great people, which is nice. But I looked at the book as a lead magnet. So inside the book, I have a, what do I call it? A companion course. Mm -hmm. And so every day to this day, I have new people joining my email list just because they've 
picked up the book or somebody gave them the book or, or they found it at the library or something. And they're just going to the website to get the materials that go with each chapter. And that's one of the most fun things for me because it's nice to see uh, who's picking it up. I always ask automatic emails go out, but I get their responses when I ask what they're up to things along those lines. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm glad you reminded me about the Hay House uh, connection. And in almost every podcast, I, I'm fascinated by the connections, just the who knows who and how you got the book deal to begin with. Remind us of that story. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so <laughs> people are like, how did you get this book deal? And I'm like, I broke every rule that is out there on how to get a book deal. That's what <laughs> happened. I was told by tons of people who I had met who had traditionally published book deals that I had to significantly grow my audience and I had to do all of these things. And I was at a Brendan Burchard event and he had mentioned that he should be able to see what your goals are by looking at your calendar. And I realized that my goal was to write a book. And if somebody looked at my calendar, it was anything but writing a book. And so I kind of OD'd on book research. And mm -hmm. I was like, how do I get a book published? If I got it published by someone, it's going to be Hay House. And I set that intention. I found this article that to this day I can't find about this woman who said, here's how I got my Hay House book deal. And at the time, Hay House was doing live events. And if you went to the live event, it was paid. They gave you the opportunity to submit a book proposal without having an agent and all of that stuff. And so I said, all right, I, I'm going to send them my book proposal and they're going to choose me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I went to the event. I was sick as a dog, but I pulled it together. I got the microphone at some point. I don't know what I said because I must have, if people believe in channeling or something, like I don't know who the heck was speaking, but people clapped. And then I had people come up to me saying, oh my gosh, they're so going to give you a book deal. Still don't know what I said. Really wish it was recorded so I could watch it. But the head of editorial gave me her business card, told me to connect with her. And that kind of started everything. And she made me promise to submit my book proposal. I did. And then Reed Tracy, who is the CEO of Hay House, called me to let me know they were taking my book. And it was, it's a whole nother story. But somehow I also got a mentorship with Reed and one other person for three months before that. And on the last day of mentoring, he found out that they're taking my book and he called me back and was like, I know we just got off the phone for our final mentoring call, but I just found out we're, we're picking up your book. And I literally ran around the house screaming and then unmuted myself. And I was like, Oh, that's delightful. I'm so glad to be a part of the family. <laughs> I'm so after I, just, <laughs> after I did my happy dance screaming, I was like, now calmly respond. <laughs> so, so that's my story. <laughs> yeah. What's ahead for you for uh, 2024 here as we look into our crystal ball? Yes. A lot of fun things. So between the book coming out and today, I actually ended up taking a lot of consulting projects for seven and eight figure coaching businesses and helping them with marketing, client retention, whole like customer experience, this whole thing. I have a business partner now, so that blew up. And we decided that for 2024, we want to go back to helping. We're still doing consulting and still working with large companies, but we're really passionate about building community and really passionate about helping folks that want to build coaching and consulting and these service-based businesses really build it in a way that's sustainable and that can deliver the level of wealth that they're looking to create for themselves and hopefully fund other opportunities. So 2024, I'm relaunching my accelerator that I used to have. And then my business partner and I are doing a community program together to really help those that want to thrive in this industry. Sounds like a lot of fun. 
People who are listening to this podcast are looking for uh, partnerships and collaborations of all kind. What kind of encouragement can you give people to team up with somebody who's got some similar goals? Yeah, I highly recommend it. I think the biggest thing about collaborating is to always come with the giver's mindset. And really, the more that you're thinking about how can I help folks without often without expecting anything in return, like collaborations and amazing opportunities will happen for you. And then if you are looking for specific collaborations, tell every tell people about it, be intentional about it. The more that you speak about how you want a collaboration or a partner, the more likely it is going to happen. My business partner, I've known her for almost eight years. I told her I wanted a business partner two years before we became business partners. And I wasn't even thinking about her specifically at the time. And we work really well together and it works out. And we've done other collaborations since. And it's really about being a person who naturally gives and then also being intentional if you have uh, something in mind that you'd like to bring into reality from a collaboration standpoint. Yeah, sounds fantastic. There's a lot of intentionality, uh, vision boarding, goal setting. It's all there, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and just taking the call. Say yes. You know, yes. Yeah. Say I love, yes. <laughs> I love that. It's great catching up with you. Boris, welcome. You're in Bangkok, Thailand. I talked to Boris just a few weeks after I talked with you, Nikki, and he was in Saigon at the time, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam at the time, doing some great work. I saw some of the uh, videos and I had just been to Vietnam myself a little bit before that. And I said, Boris seems like the kind of guy I want to catch up with. What, what are you up to, Boris? Yeah, thanks, Mark, for having me on your podcast again. It's really an unexpected pleasure. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Yeah, here I am now in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, but still in Southeast Asia. Uh, for me, the past eight years were three years in China, three, two years in uh, Vietnam, and now two years here in, uh, in Bangkok, uh, Thailand, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, since we talked last time, yeah, I was sharing about my film goals and like the beginning of my path. But now you contacted me at very right time. Uh, like uh, last month, I finished my first short film and showcased it, uh, screened it here in Bangkok. And I'm ready to share my experience, how it went. I love that. And tell yeah. us about the film. Yeah, I'm looking for this opportunity for several years to make a proper, decent short film. And in Vietnam, I had some success in working with film directors and other productions, but I didn't have a chance to shoot my own movie. And Bangkok treated me really well this time. So all the scripts, all the concepts that I built in Vietnam, I'm working on it right now here in Bangkok. So after one and a half year, after moving here, like literally last month, I got a chance to have a camera for 12 hours for free with crew, with equipment and so whatsoever. It was just a Facebook post saying, hey, we are looking for the project, but the catch is we have to do it in one week. <laughs> I'm just going to make a movie in a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, what else I, I got to do? So I had some scripts uh, ready, already prepared, some short scripts that are easy to film in 12 hours. We got it prepared. I got some actors already that worked with me before. We have some trust, some chemistry in working together. And I got a really good location. Everything went pretty well. We got two weeks after that to edit before the deadline. And in two weeks, I did it sharp, right on time with no problems. It was, it was scary how smooth it went. <laughs> I love that. And were you able to get, was funding an issue? Were you able to get the money to make the film? Lucky that you got the film crew, but... 
yeah, that was already half half of the budget. If you get the camera and the crew and all the equipment, that was a <laughs> gift from above, definitely. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, the actors, they just supported and they were really into the script. They really liked the style and the, the filming itself. Of course, they did for free. Locations also, we cut the corners, did it for free. So I still paid some money for for the fake blood. It's a horror movie and there's a lot of blood. And I paid for some security for the location because we were filming in the under the highway passage on the parking lot. And uh, at night, it can be a little sketchy. So we, we hired some protection for that. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a budget you don't skimp on, security. Better safe than sorry. Yes. Uh, after the movie was done, we showcased it to local producers. Somehow opportunity came by itself as, as well. Last week, there was a big film meeting in Bangkok. A bunch of producers, actors and directors from different companies, from Hollywood, in India, from all over the place. Yeah, they were meeting together and I got really lucky to show my movie in there. And boom, <laughs> yeah, even if you submit your film for the festivals and just the audience watches it. So here it was the juice, the filmmaker community juice. And uh, yeah, I showed uh, the movie to the right people. After the screening was done, the reaction was amazing. People loved it. Uh, everybody was shaking my hand, sharing the contact. Hey, Boris, what's your next movie? Oh, I'm an actor. I'm a, I'm an artist. Yeah, it was hard to remember all the names. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and the main point, yeah, for two big producers and two investors they actually got in touch with me they said that really like my work and they're ready to discuss some future projects that are waiting to be executed uh, since start start of development in vietnam mm. that must feel really good oh my god it's oof, it's once in a lifetime experience yeah and it has that uh, kind of perseverance and resilience tone to it. It's like, I'm just yeah. going to keep working on my craft until somebody sees it. That's what I learned. Just keep your door open. Get ready for the moment that it will definitely come. No matter how long you wait, no, no matter how long you struggle, it will definitely come to you. Yes. Nikki reiterated that a moment ago. So we're just going to yeah. stand by our phones and wait for those phones to ring for sure. <laughs> yeah, Marlene, let's bring you into our conversation here. Last time we talked back in uh, February, almost a year ago now, yeah. I also met the pink poodle of your pink poodle productions. <laughs> First of all, I would, I feel like I would like to donate my interview time to Nikki and Boris because I feel like they have much more interesting stories. Oh, no, no. Much more interesting <laughs> success stories. And especially Nikki, who is my soulmate in the color pink. Clearly, this was meant to be that we're on the same episode. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. And I am so fascinated with your story, Nikki, about Hay House. My therapist has recommended no end of books for, to me from Hay House. So I am a frequent reader and fan of the entire catalog. So kudos to you on that. And uh, I, you can bet that I will be seeking you out after this yes. is over. And Boris, my goodness, 
having a, a film career in Thailand, and I'm guessing that you're not originally from Thailand. So what a an achievement. I, I can't even believe it. I do have a company called Pink Poodle Productions, so it does fit in. As, it as comes somewhat. all the way around. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Marlene's yeah. <laughs> involved in uh, animation and, and Japanese animation. So we got the uh, Asia connection going there. But all the animation, both from scripting and voicing and production. And Marlene, we just discovered the small world connection with Rich over at uh, Nickelodeon in the last That's couple weeks. That's right. That is right. Yes. Rich Megalanis is a friend of mine who who turned up on Mark's podcast. And that was really delightful to see him on there. Shout out to Rich. I hope you're listening. And if not, I'm coming to get you. There you go. <laughs> and he pretty much offered that his door is open and he keeps his lunch and uh, cocktail calendar clear for just these kinds of connections. <laughs> so, oh, did he tell you about the uh, shindigs? The, the shindigs, yes. Those, Have you been to a shindig? Are- Yes, I I have. And it was really outstanding. So Rich, just a little backstory for those of you who who might not know who he is a a fellow animation producer. He lives here in Los Angeles, which is where I am. And so I know him from the kids entertainment business. And he had a long career at Nickelodeon, I believe after Nickelodeon, he might have been at Saban yes, Brands? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, so we're pals. But during the pandemic, I guess he was just itching to get back out and network with people because he's he is very charismatic and he's great in person. So the minute the, the air cleared and he was able to host an, a live event, he just went for it. And he reserved this room at a bar and grill in North Hollywood and just willy-nilly sent out invitations to everybody that he knew in the industry and he's done I think three of them now I went to the one back in January or February but he's done a few and it was really just so wonderful to reconnect with all former colleagues and meet new people and so forth and and there was no other purpose except reconnecting and networking and it was come as you are, bring your friends. It was like a teenage spontaneous gathering, except none of us were teens. (laughs) We all worked in kids entertainment, more or less. And the fact that it was all comers. I think he told me that he was expecting 10 or 12 people because people really weren't going out yet. And I think that, I don't know, 50 people came and the next one was even bigger. It's I got to get a bigger room. It's just these things. And isn't it the lesson? I think the thing I took away from that whole thing, and Marlene, you know better than any of us, but that just going out, just being in the room, it's like I met a writer, I met a voice, I met a producer. You're just going to make the connections if you put yourself out there sometimes. Yeah, and that is definitely a benefit of living in Los Angeles, too, because going out might just constitute going to the grocery store. Because you never know, (laughs) you're going to meet the uh, veggie aisle. (laughs) Oh, I had a wonderful experience at Trader Joe's a couple of months ago. I'm working on uh, social media for a nonprofit that I won't get into the ins and outs of it. But anyway, I was thinking, this is so bizarre, but I was meeting with a collaborator before my grocery store, my before my visit to Trader Joe's, 
And we were just talking about potential collaborators. We were thinking of, we wanted to do some social media posts with people who are on procedural shows like Law and Order or NCIS, like those types of things. We were thinking like, oh, if we could interview somebody who worked on one of those shows or something, but we didn't, the two of us come from the world of kids entertainment. So we're working a little bit outside of our realm of expertise. I'm not kidding you. I went to Trader Joe's and in the parking lot, I saw Titus Welliver, who is the star of Bosch, which has been going for a million seasons it's on good. Amazon. Yes. And I saw him because his, his tattoos are very recognizable. So that's how I knew it was him. I saw him in the parking lot, yanked the wheel over to park in the nearest parking spot. And I ran into the store and I said, Titus. <laughs> and I did cause a little bit of a stir. There were some people who know he was shopping unobtrusively until I came in. Yeah, minding I, his own business. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you would think after all these years in the business, I'd be able to be more subtle, but alas, no. Yes. <laughs> but but I got to talk to him and give him my card and tell him what I was working on and saying, oh my God. We were just, my collaborator and I, we were just talking about other collabs that we could do with people like you and this and that. And he was very sweet and open. Now, nothing has come of that since then. Well, but, but that's just, one of those you never know when it's going to pop. Exactly. Yeah. And I even still see good things are coming from that experience because I have this delightful story to tell on the podcast. Yes, so, uh, exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And Boris, I couldn't help but think about the right place at the right time experience you had showing your short. But when you said, what do I do now with all these connections? Now, I'm sure you, you have a lot of ideas, but you may want to get some tips from Nikki. Now, it says, how do you, I, I won't say leverage in a bad way, but leverage lifting. How do you yeah. take these connections and make them something now? Hmm. Uh, to, I would market, like to, hear... to market your genius. Nikki's story is already quite inspiring and educating. So, yeah, good job, Nikki. Yeah. Nikki, <laughs> what would you do if you were in Boris's shoes in terms of, hey, I've made these, the dream connections that I wanted. I got in front of the people. Where do you take it? Yeah, I honestly, I would go back to something I said earlier, and I would check in and see how you can serve them, see what they're working on, what's next for them. If, are you able to make connections for them that may not seem huge to you, but it helps them. It makes their lives easier and better. And I think one of the things about today is, I don't know if it's a mentality or if it's the easy access with social media and the internet <laughs> that's been around for a while, but people tend to be always contacting and reaching out because they want something. They want to sell you something. They want you to do something. And so I think there's a lot of value when, particularly if you don't have anything that you need from them right now, is to just show up and ask how you can be of service. And that's something that goes a long way because when you do have something in mind, people are way more likely to support you just because you're their friend, because you're there for them, because you don't need anything. Like you're there when you don't need anything. You essentially don't want to be the friend that only calls when they want something. You want to be the friend that's there all the time, even if you're just starting a friendship. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would start doing. And honestly, it's a big part of why when I started my podcast, I started having guests because I had friends that 
did the, Hey, come speak on my stage. Hey, I connected you with folks. And I really wanted to be able to support my friends and help them get their message out there. So I just started saying, Hey, you want to come on my podcast? I don't need anything. I don't need anything else, but I think you're magic and I'd love to support you in any way, shape or form. So I think that's incredibly helpful. Such a good inside out looking to serve rather than try to get your next gig. Love that. Guys, it's been great catching up. This is like my virtual coffee hour right here. And you always hear that question. If you can have coffee with anyone, I've had 300 guests that I'd love to go back and have coffee with, but at least the four of us got together today. Yes. Fantastic. And now we all know each other. We have, and of course with you too, Mark, but we can network with each other. all, All kinds of good has come from this experience. There you go. Maybe who knows what 2024 might hold. Who knows what connections just in this little square of Zoom windows might come out. Exactly. Listeners, you've just witnessed the power of connections. And that's what we talk about almost every week on the podcast. Thank you. Hooray. We're just enjoying our uh, family reunion of past guests on Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And we're really dialing the clock back today, but people that I talk to months apart and then, wow, what would happen if we get them back together? (laughs) Won't this be fun? So I'm talking to Allison Hernandez and her book, her musical, her music, Ballad of Dreams. I I talked with Allison back on episode 176, and I know you're keeping score, back in March of 2022. And later, Michael McGrush who wrote a great book called The Smart of Art in episode 203. Allison, maybe I could start with you. I remember when we talked about A Ballad of Dreams. It was music from a family story that should have been a musical. So you made it a book, but then later (laughs) it came back and was a musical. Oh my gosh, what a journey. Bring us up to date. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love thinking about the circuitous nature of my journey because it just, One of my girlfriends and I were saying the other day, whatever I think the next step should be, it's going to be the opposite of that. So that's just my theme now for my artistic process is whatever I think is next. No, scratch that. It's going to be something I totally haven't even thought of yet. So yeah, in the past year, let's see, we released the album. So a concept album of the actual music that's out on wherever you stream music, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon. So that was a really fun process, getting in the recording studio with a bunch of friends and producers. And we recorded 17 songs from the musical. And then a girlfriend of mine, another actress friend of of mine, we recorded an audio book in our closet, as you do now, or as we did during (laughs) COVID. My closet had the best acoustics. So she recorded all all of the chapters that the character's name is Rose, from Rose's perspective. And I recorded and narrated the Audrey character. So the audiobook is out on Audible. And then we combined the concept album with the audiobook. So while you're listening to the audiobook, you can also hear the music um, that we recorded woven throughout. So those are two new pieces of, of the pie that are out there in the world that you can listen to and experience. And then in this past year, I went back to the musical, the crux of the story, worked with a dramaturg to really pull the best parts of my prior script and then the novel version of the story and combine them. And then I put a producer hat on and I raised $70,000 and I produced an industry reading in New York 
We had two amazing weeks of rehearsals with a bunch of Broadway stars, worked with music arrangers and directors and having stage managers and a general manager and the full true creative team of collaborators and got to perform and do that show that I wrote and composed and wore all the hats for two weeks, which so, was which was just life fulfilling and amazing. And there was so much love in the room. So yeah, that's what I've been working yeah. on. In the, in and, the and what a testament. Two, two parts I take away from this. First of all, I've had so many authors, writers, singer, songwriters say that the story is the point. The medium is just the way you tell the story and it can go across mediums and so forth. And that's certainly something I take away. But boy, the other is the perseverance, the resilience, the I own this story and it's part of me and you weren't going to be stopped, were you? No, that's not in my DNA. <laughs> and I think of our other mutual podcast friend, Celicia Thomas, who was like, I'm going to get to Broadway. And you were like, I'm going to get this doggone thing on Broadway. You got it. Yeah, whatever it takes. And so the irony is because my story has been unexpected of what comes next is I did this reading and I thought we invited producers and investors and regional theaters. And the feedback that I'm getting is not about Broadway. It's, this should be a TV show. So now I'm pivoting yet again on my journey of what is not what I thought would be next. Uh, and so now I'm diving into the world of TV and I created a TV treatment and I'm gonna start taking writing classes for TV. Uh, to learn how to adapt to this piece of work yet again um, to a different medium. But I'm really excited about it because I love I love TV probably almost as much as I love theater. <laughs> so I'm excited of what to learn because I'm just a dork about learning, but learning a new medium, um, both visually, storytelling, and also including the music in it. Like it's going to be a musical TV show somehow. So and, and you're day... talking about connections. And I always ask people about the collaboration part of this. It's your baby for sure. But yeah. listen, just in the last 10 minutes, you've mentioned like, I don't know, 20 people right. <laughs> that you had to team up with to make this happen. And I can guarantee it's going to be a long, many collaborations to get on TV in whatever streaming or uh, series form this yeah. turns out to be, right? What is your approach or even, I guess, your advice for listeners on seeking out and being open to collaboration? Yeah, I think creativity can be really lonely when you are a solo artist. And when you get to start sharing your work with others is when it starts to be so much more fun, um, where there's a give and take where there's a, this idea builds on this idea, where someone, when I started working with a dramaturg and director, it was like she brought her 20 plus years of Broadway directing to the table. And things that I wouldn't have even imagined were possible to create on stage, she knew was possible. I think it's also getting with people that you already know and love <laughs> makes it so much more fun. Relationships are everything in every industry. So when you get to work with your friends, when you get to work with people that you really respect, um, that just made it so much more joyful. Mm -hmm. So I would always start with who do you know and who do you know who knows someone who you should know? Yes. Uh, and, and that's really how all of my collaborators came into my orbit were through relationships. 
And have you found, like I have, that six degrees of separation, that's so far gone. If you're more than two, because you're definitely right, there is always somebody you are one step away from saying, make a call. Yes, exactly. And I would much rather work with someone who a good friend has referred and has worked with them before. And and I also think the collaborative process is a little bit like a marriage and trying before you buy, <laughs> date before you get married, <laughs> go on a few dates before you decide that you really want to work with this person. Because yeah, it is your baby and creative relationships can be really challenging and hard. So making sure that you gel creatively and not just gel creatively, but you gel from like having similar work ethics in terms of how you like to work or what you say a deadline means. <laughs> Are you really going to get it done by then? And your communication process, how do you give feedback? How do you receive feedback, especially when it's on your work that you've created? Mm-hmm. So I think all of those are really important variables when you're building your creative team. Yes. Fantastic. Allison, where can we connect with you and keep following your work? Everybody's going to want to know what the next turn is. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Balladofdreams.com is my website for all things Ballad of Dreams. You can follow me on Instagram, Allison underscore Hernandez Extra. Um, Yeah, so that's me. It's going to be so fun. Thanks for coming on the reunion. Michael, uh, let's pick up where uh, Allison leaves off there. And that is, you've got a pretty provocative claiming the true value of art that you've been espousing. And I think about what Allison is talking about, producing the work, getting the story out. I read a blog of yours that artists who aren't interested in how their art works are just wasting their time. It sounds like a glorified hobby, but if you're really aware and you want to put your art into something and get it out there, you've got to be a little bit more, what, wider thinking. The, the art, what does art really require? Art doesn't want anything other than you create, you perceiving it and creating it and exposing it. So there's three things. So if I think about a painting right now, I'm going to paint it real quick and show it to you, Mark, and that's all I need to do. Obviously, we have now technology that we can show it to more people. And if it is my art, like Alison, it was her thing, her conversation with a non-physical that she got that story in. And if she would just say, oh, I'm just going to do something that is famous and do a new version of that play, she wouldn't have that power. Mm-hmm. to. It's not, oh, I'm stubborn. You cannot be stubborn when it's not yours. When you take somebody else's. So you always have to create, you have to be aware why you create, how you created it and be very conscious, milk the moment. I always tell every uh, artist, milk the moment of creation. Because if you focus on the outcome, you're going to miss all the magic that you have. And you have so much magical moments. And I know so many artists, like literally 90%, that have the most magical uh, creation time, music, painting, poetry, and then the book doesn't work. The film doesn't work. It's not successful. And they eliminate all the magic that they had and said, oh, that's irrelevant. And they actually disconnect further from their own expression because every human is one of one of eight billion. 
and you have to express yourself. You also consume, but you also have to express yourself. Why? To expand your perception, because every human, look at your family, has a different view on life, even if you're all grown up in the same family. So it's so interesting that you talk about disconnecting from from the work or the book or what have you, is that so many people, uh, and you've heard this before too, I'm just writing this book for myself, or I'm just doing the paintings for myself, as if you don't plan to show anybody. Are you really keeping your creativity under wraps if you don't allow it to be seen? You have to show it. This is one thing of art is. If you just want to create, then it's a hobby. But if you experience art, you have to create whatever comes in. Your inspiration, writing a play, writing a musical, writing a, painting a picture. And then you have to expose it at least to somebody. You can't, it's like going, uh, you're going out, you're dressing up in a suit and everything, and then you don't go out. You just go out and, <laughs> and, and sit in your room. Why do you dress yourself up uh, and be creative in how you present yourself as a lady, for example, right? You make yourself up and then you st- sit at home and, and, and stay at the wall. No, you got to go out to express. You don't have to go out to a million people. You're not Beyonce or whatever, but you have to go out to see at least your date, your friends while you're going out. I love and the that. same is with art. You got to show it to somebody because it's in the self-perception of you think you look great and in the perception of others, how you look, that you discover more of who you are. Because when you, for example, say, okay, i got to get this red uh, handkerchief here. And then the people make a stupid comment on the red handkerchief because I thought it they will like it. Then I know next time I better go with what I like, a green one or a blue one, and not worry about it. Never worry. Rick Rubin says that always. Don't worry about the, the people make the best that you can. And all you can as an artist is to do the best and then let it go. Yes. Because you but it's no wonder we question ourselves though. Will they like my red scarf? I, I was kidding. Allison, when did you pass the threshold of this is a great family story? I really like it. It means a mm. lot to me. But what if I put it out there? What if I write a book? What if I try to get it on, a, on Broadway? And what if? People don't find it as compelling as I did. There must have been a point where you passed that. Oh, yes. I think I kept circling around it. It it felt a force that just had to come out of me. And so to Michael's point, I really didn't care if people liked it or not. (laughs) I knew that I had to tell the story and I knew that I had to write this music because it just wouldn't stop coming out of me. So once it finally stopped, once like the, the valve was turned off, it was like, I can't just stop working on this thing. What's the next step? And what's the next step is to share it with someone. The next step is to give it to someone to read. The next step is to, this was like pre-COVID, get 10 friends together in a room in New York and read it and hear it out loud, not for having an audience, but to share it and, and to get that first level of feedback what do you think is this a thing is this actually a musical i don't know um, yes yeah uh, so and, that, and, that was and michael i yeah, i recently heard that rick rubin interview and just to twist it and continue it a little bit he did say don't worry about the audience because 
if you're writing to please the audience, you won't make the best work because you're trying exactly. to please somebody else. Yeah. But mm -hmm. if you make the work as passionate as you are about it, then that's what the audience will love. So it was yeah. a counterintuitive. The more you put of yourself into it, the more the audience will appreciate yeah. it, right? And never think about they're going to like the red versus the green or the higher pitch or they like some violins better or, or whatever. Never do this. You got to get off. I always, when I teach artists, I say, you got to get off on your own work. If you get, if you wouldn't work, drive, if you wouldn't buy your own work, how can you ask somebody else <laughs> to pay? And see, if you don't make something that say, oh my God, if I could just buy this, I would buy this if because it is not available. That's how you create art. If you don't like it, I know so many painters said, would you hang this out? Would you buy, would you pay a thousand dollars for this? Not $500. Would you pay $500 for this painting? And they said, no. I said, why you even, then don't even put it out. You know? Yes. And the boy, I tell you, the pricing across all creative industries, right? And you mentioned that $1,000. Somebody says, I painted this. I'm going to sell it for $100. Why not 1000 Why not 10000 Why are you judging it to be worth 100 So we're prejudging our work all the time, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. And that's why it's better to have somebody where I say, hey, Mark, can you sell this for me? I'd have somebody else mm. to do it for you. That's a better thing because because they know the market. They're probably better also dancing in the system market, what's best. And they can push it better. They can use their creativity to sell you a product better. Mm -hmm. But I know what's the Lagerfeld, the designer. He never asked anybody. He just, he just said, what would you pay? And if you say the wrong number, you wouldn't get him, obviously. <laughs> if you said, okay... Do Chanel collection new and we get a pay you a thousand dollars. He would say, Okay, see you later. You Thank know? you very much. Yeah. But so he never he did this alone, but he's one of the few that really did the perfect pricing for himself. Michael, what do you see uh, in your crystal ball for 2024? I don't have goals because I don't make goals. Because when I make goals, then I'm doing exactly what I said. I'm gonna push. I'm going to push the, I'm saying, I want this. And when you want something, you are not here. The, the, the fulfillment is with other humans that you experience with other humans every moment. So I'm not right now thinking, oh my God, my dog, I need to do this. I need to do that. <laughs> I'm right here with you fully. And I give you hundred percent of me. And that's why I don't make, because 96% or 97% of New Year's resolutions are never held. Oh, exactly. So it is a tremendous thing of, of self-shaming and self-guilting when you try to say, I'm on next, next year, I'm going to do, I wanted to, I have seven books written and I wanted to finish that, that six, which is almost finished. They're both finished basically. And I thought I'm going to finish the AI book first. And then something else came up. And, and it's like Allison saying, it pulls you and you feel it's more right to do that instead of going right away to a television. Mm -hmm. So it, it it gets you somewhere. And I think when you're in touch with us, uh, life is way easier. It's just easier. Mm. And to be available for those opportunities. You're right. Sometimes yeah. if you think you have these 10 goals and this one other thing comes up, you're like, oh, yeah. I'm too busy for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just to be available. Michael, where do we uh, find you and follow your work coming forward? 
simplemichaelm.com, Michael with two L's, michaelm.com, and you get everything. This is my music, my art, my writings, my interviews, everything. Everything yes. you can find. Well, we've been talking about multi-hyphenate creativity. It seems that including both of you, the creative people always seem to have a lot of slashes and hyphens and multiple titles. And it's, I can't fit it all on my LinkedIn because it's this long. <laughs> uh, why, why do you think that is that we have so many creative interests going? Because it comes up like Alison said that really very well. She said, I did this. And then I was fulfilled with this, but there was still something missing. If there wasn't fulfilled with anything, then Alison would say, okay, I got the Tony for my play. <laughs> right. And that's right. it. And that's it. Check. <laughs> right. yeah, and looks for another play. Yeah. Could but, you move but, your but, camera but, a little bit so we can see the Tony? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I have, I've manifested. Oh, I, this, I love oh, this. This is yes. better than the vision board. This is the yep. vision Tony. Yep. I yeah. have that right there. So I think you, that's why you have half. You think this is, and when you are creative, you go with what comes in, you dance with that energy. And the energy, if the if your non-physical cannot get you correctly, you go the way. And you have to pick something up on that way. If Allison would have gone right to television, she would be embarrassed. She has had so many experiences now that she's confident to get into the television. And I think we all suffer from this as artists. We have to have a lot of confidence because business people have confidence and but we are not a business we are more the we are more the magicians and everything but we have to also get the self-esteem about our uniqueness and once we have that then it's easier for us to and so people start this and hide from slash and whatever just to try to do the best thing they can oh, fantastic it's been I great catching that, up Michael. with you both. And what a great reunion here. And keep us posted on how it's going. We'd love to uh, follow up and see how the work is progressing and see what the next steps are and what, what you're saying yes to along the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What new relationships? And if you have other people you think I ought to be talking to on the podcast, send them along. That'd be great. I will. All right. And you can well, ask always again. And I think it's good to have a, Groups discussions too, Mark. I think that's a good thing. I got to go look up your books, Michael. I'm super intrigued. <laughs> yeah, my podcast is free. It's 30 seconds. And it will really, it will make you happier creating and more aware. And your self-esteem and self-confidence will go up immediately. It's I 30 thought, seconds only. I thought the Remember? idea of a 30-second podcast was brilliant. You know, give us a little inspiration and then we're back to work. And a question. It's a statement of mine. It's not a stolen. Mm. Everything is from me. And there's a question. And you every Saturday you hear it, let it percolate. You don't even have to have an answer. So that. good. So good. Thanks a lot to Michael and to Allison for jumping in on our reunion party here. A reunion of uh, past guests. We're going to go back and invite folks that we've had from episodes all the way back to October of 2020. And I'm talking to Elizabeth Hansen. Uh, she was in episode 192 in August of 2022. Elizabeth, welcome. Elizabeth <laughs> is co-founder and chief creative officer at Dramafy. It's an audio drama streaming service. And I thought it was such a fascinating concept when we introduced ourselves, Elizabeth. So what have you been doing since we talked back in, uh, gosh, almost a year and a half now? 
Tech is the big bugaboo, right? <laughs> so honestly, what we've been doing is we've been continuing to produce. We've got nearly 250 shows on the site now. And the biggest thing that we've been doing over the last, oh, nine months or so, maybe even a year, is creating new tech. We've got a new player out. We're going to have new mobile apps for our creators. We're going to have, we have a new back end that we're beta testing right now. Excuse me. So at the end of this year of Q4, we should have all of that deployed and up and running because we really, when we first did this, it was minimum viable product. And I just, I look at our tech now and I just go, this, I feel like I'm in 2010. <laughs> I feel like I should be on my MacBook clamshell doing this because it works, but it was full of friction. So we've really worked on the user experience to make that so seamless and friction-free. And, and the new player is wicked fast. So that's nice. So that's basically what we've been doing. That's great. And I know when you started, as I recall, it's streaming, it's audio drama, it's all the things that aren't quite integrated into our daily lives. But boy, you think about it now, it's all about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm really pleased because that that we've been able to honestly last this long. <laughs> and because <laughs> tech startups, especially when you don't have a gazillion dollars, it's really hard. Bootstrapping is hard. A lot of bending over, <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of straps and boots. And so I'm really excited about 2024 because we've really been hesitating putting a lot of effort and especially resources, money into marketing because our tech wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. And so if the user experience is nasty, who wants to stay? So I'm really excited about 2024 because I think that I think that we'll start soaring because we're going to really hit, we're going to hit social media, we're going to hit YouTube, we're going to hit TikTok. Because, and again, in a year and a half, a lot has changed in the whole podcasting world Definitely. as to how listeners get their content. And I went to Podcast Movement this past August, and I was flabbergasted how many listeners get their content from YouTube. Yes. Listen to podcasts on YouTube. But I know they've just yeah. launched a ability to plug your RSS feed into YouTube and mm -hmm. much more seamless. So beyond the tech, Elizabeth, with the user experience and all, but what about the creative uh, work? How have the shows developed in the very, you've got a wide range of genres. Yeah, we do. Most of our 95% of our content comes from independent producers. It's fun to see what people are working on. At first, it was mostly fantasy. But we've got a lot of faith-based things now and a lot of dramas coming our way. We personally are starting to co-produce with some of our creators. We've got a new production of Pride and Prejudice that we're going to be recording with a company in the UK. And that's going to come in. Uh, we're going to record that in February and then probably a couple of months later that will come out. We've got a a clean romance that we're doing with the creator John Loggenbaugh from who created Brass, which is a very good steampunk show on Dramafy. And I'm really excited about the collaborations because you get to spread out the work. And we we also get to help with the limited resources we have, get to help the creators 
Uh, and as we all know, money is always so hard to come by. <laughs> there may be some of those creators uh, listening. And, and I also think about authors who are thinking, uh, maybe I should do an audiobook. Perhaps they ought to be considering an audio drama. What's the difference in your mind? There's actually, there's a lot. And it's it, there's a lot of work in an audio drama. Um, an audio book is basically narration. And it's one person usually playing all the parts of all the characters, just changing up their voices. And then if some people will put a few, will put some underscoring underneath it to give it some depth and a few sound effects. But with audio drama, it's pretty much a picture without words. So mm -hmm. it's fully scripted. Some have narration. Some most don't have narration. And it's fully scored and fully sound designed. And that takes time. I had to start learning how to sound design <laughs> just out of necessity. Yes. And thinking about the potential collaborations, potential contributions, who, who would you hope to attract in the coming year? Oh, that's a really good question because I've thought a lot about this. Um, I would love to have more children's content. We're looking at a couple of a couple of shows, but we don't really have a lot of children's content. And I'm talking like interesting, not My Little Pony stuff, though that has a lot of merit to it. Intelligent children's stuff, like Dinotopia we have, and Dinotopia is great and it's extraordinarily popular. Romances, I would love to have some more romances because I think there's a huge market. I didn't even know how big the clean romance market was, and it's mm -hmm. huge. So I'm thinking about doing a Western <laughs> as well, because one of the things that I'm finding is that if you got a screenplay out there, it's a good screenplay, but you haven't been able to get a producer interested in it. Screenplays are great to adapt into audio dramas. They really are. Fantastic. I know people are going to want to reach out to you, number one, to uh, connect with Dramafy and listen to some of the shows, but perhaps find out how they might contribute and collaborate with you. Where can we find you? Elizabeth at Dramafy.com. It's pretty easy. Thanks for coming on our little reunion virtual coffee here. It's great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. And my dog <laughs> thanks you too. That's right. We thank the whole household. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's That's good right. to see you again. Friends, we're continuing our virtual class reunion for our 300th episode of Unlocking Your World of Creativity. We're, we're just going back. We're, we've got the class of 20. 22 here and the <laughs> class of 2021. Yes, it's going to be a great conversation. Eric Cabal is here and Jacoby is here. Welcome, Eric. How you doing? I'm fantastic, Marks. Always good to see you and to check in once in a while, right? It's been too long, man. Way too it long. It has been too long. And as you came on, I I'm imagining in the back of my mind a Lizzo song playing right now because <laughs> and everybody doing high fives and hands on the <laughs> ceiling kind of thing. We're checking our nails. We're fe feeling good with Lizzo in the background. For copyright that, reasons, that, we can't do that. We, we're not doing that right now, but we're hearing it in our heads. And that Absolutely. isn't that good enough. Nobody, no government official can take that away from me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but Eric, you had put together just a, a fantastic series of these PodMax events. And now you're continuing with your own company, uh, On Air Brands. But there was a culture, there was a community, 
And I thought I was joining these things to learn how to be a better interviewer and get a better microphone and, you know, count my <laughs> analytics better and all that kind of stuff. But you were really trying to focus on the people and the stories. Is that where we are in podcasting now? Isn't the story the king still? Absolutely, dude. I I think story withstands the test of time. You go to scripture, you go anywhere. We've been telling stories around campfires and passing legends and family and all this stuff. So yeah, that transcends. I think we often get caught up in, and thank you for this and thank you. And and it's so great and an honor to be here with you guys. But yeah, it, we get talk. We caught up in the in the tactics of it, and less about what we're going to talk about <laughs> and how we're going to serve. Yes, and as I recall, we were on these Zoom calls because we couldn't get together at the moment back then. But I think we had twenty five, fifty one time, and yeah. all comers. Some people had never been on a podcast, let alone had one. But then you had best-selling authors, John David Mann, David Meltzer, some of these names. And we were just all learning from each other. Yeah, it was such an opportunity. We didn't put our heads down and crawl under the carpet or anything during those times. We figured out that people need each other, right? And that was amazing because I didn't realize that thought leaders that I admired and looked up to, like Hal Elrod, Dave Meltzer, you mentioned, all mm -hmm. these people that were coming to our events, they had nowhere to speak, right? <laughs> Everything was <laughs> shut down. So I had no idea. I could not have predicted that. I, I just wanted to meet with you and a bunch of our friends. And all of a sudden, yeah, these amazing people were coming in and pouring into the community, which I didn't realize was a community at the time. Yeah, things happen for a reason and you don't realize it in the moments. But then when you reflect on it, you're like, oh, wow, that happened. That's pretty cool. But I think if we always go forward with the best intentions, good will come of it. Yes. Bring yeah. us up to date. What have you been doing since? And how has your own brand evolved? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear from Anne as well. But the PodMax events have brought so much fruit that I had to focus on the company that was keeping the lights on, basically. Mm -hmm. PodMax was, if anything... A break even. As anyone who runs events knows, it's pretty, it's a heavy lift organizationally, just logistics, all of those things come to play. We still love doing events, but we have not run one in, in, in years. So the focus is really, truly at this point, personal branding, because what I found that people who are starting podcasts don't necessarily have the clarity needed before starting one. It's like writing a book and saying, I want to write a book. Okay, cool. What's your book about? I don't really know. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, why don't you create an outline? Why don't you think about what the goal is and what do you want to do with that? It's the same thing. People's podcasts and they just go, I'm a ready fire. I'm a fire ready aim. Boo, boo, boo. And then they get three months, six months in and they realize, yeah, this is hard work and they don't have the goal or the purpose established or clear in their mind. So then they go away. They fade. It's hard. It's really hard. It's a lot of work. So I've over the years realize I need to focus on people's mission, their purpose, what do they want to do in life, and then work backwards from there. So, mm -hmm. okay, so now let's build your podcast. Let's build your brand based off of your mission. And if you don't know what your mission is, let's work on that. Let's figure out what that is. That's a good place to bring you in, Anne, because your whole focus has been companies and their missions, but also how to bring the people's their own flavor, because nobody just wants to work for a company that tells them what to do all the time. That's gone. That's history, right? 
Yeah, I think that's ancient history. Erica, you're speaking my language. I think it's the vision, vision, mission, values, right? The purpose, organizational purpose, that North Star, the way I like to call it, is so critical for creating a creative culture and one that's engaged and uh, where people feel really fired up to come to work. That's what we're all after, right? Is that kind of heartbeat. So I spent a lot of time working with organizations on that. And I'm about to launch a book. So I was going to say, I hope the book comes up. Yes, fantastic. That's so exciting. Yeah, Born to Create, February 20th is the launch date. And it's been a big labor of love. But yeah, Eric, it's so funny. The writing the book process was a multi-year journey for me to get that clarity and to be, I don't know, to have a real vision with how I wanted to communicate this narrative, which is bringing more creativity in the workplace and how important that is today. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. It's exciting. And when we first talked, episode 172 for listeners who are keeping score, March of 2022, but you were a content creator before I think we even knew what that label or title was. You you had eBooks, you had uh, videos, you had the five points and the six ways and all sorts of great platforms. How has that evolved for you? And how did that really contribute to your book process? If I could think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think when you think about long form, like a book, if people actually read books anymore, right? You have to have those tools that really feel accessible and that you can lift and shift and apply in different environments. And so I really did focus on how can this feel practical, but also have a really strong narrative where they're learning from the stories of artists and entrepreneurs and business leaders who are creative. And there's a compelling story there, but then how can they apply that to their life as a creative leader or as an organizational leader, what are those frameworks to apply? So I think that was how I merged the two ideas together and actually created a long form piece of content. The work that I do has evolved. I really do a lot more coaching nowadays with either creative teams or executives who want to be more creative in their leadership. It's been a really fun evolution and really fulfilling work. So I'm in a good spot. So good. (laughs) Eric, thinking about those uh, stories and that content and that inspiration in the podcast format, people tell me all the time, oh, there's 3 million podcasts. I don't think there's really 3 million that are active, real, engaging uh, with listeners. But I think about the format where it's like, I'm going to give you, whether it's five minutes to 55 minutes of a platform to get your story out there. And can people really organize their thoughts, focus their thoughts, respond to the questions. That takes a lot of preparation and skill that I don't know if people appreciate that or not. They think I'll turn the microphone on. They'll ask me some questions and then I'll get notoriety. Yeah. It's harder than it seems, right? Whether you're starting one or guesting on a podcast, like you said, it it takes some organization, some prep work for sure. It's it's not easy. It's like saying, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I'm going to go to open mic. Anyone who's ever tried that, aside from the the fear of public speaking, the thoughts on the fly, being witty or funny and all that stuff, if it doesn't come naturally for you, it's work. It's a muscle that you could build over time for sure. Just like writing in any skill set, it's it takes some level of creativity to Anne's point. I'm really curious about it and my podcast hosting, I have to fight that muscle because I want to ask her a bunch of questions. And I have all these thoughts as she's speaking. I'm like, oh, let's go. I want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm like, no, this is Mark's show. It's, like, <laughs> it's so difficult, right? As but that's the, that's the beauty of the reunion. We're just standing here having drinks. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about the people in the background there. They, yeah, they, no, these people aren't going to go anywhere at this yeah. coffee shop. They haven't moved in years. But to, to, to merge the two things, I think that as adults, as we get older, we often forget our, the creative side of uh, ourselves. And I'm a creative at heart. That was my profession when I was in corporate America for 21 years. So I finally left and I was like, oh, I'm going to go become a real estate investor, which was not creative. There were <laughs> aspects of it where you had to be creative with financing and things. But in terms of like visuals, I ended up creating a multimedia creative agency because that's what I knew. And that's where my purpose lies and my superpower. But what I'm getting at, and I'd love to hear Anne's perspective as well, is it's really just tapping into if you have children, especially I have young ones, nine and six. That's, that's what we forget. Like I see them getting older and they're already beginning to forget that creativity that lies just within their nature. And as adults, it's like, how do we put ourselves in positions and environments and situations where that's what we tap into? Because that's where we find the most joy because that is in our DNA. We have yes. to be creative. Yes. And so Eric, true. not to freak you out, but I also have a nine and a six-year-old. We I need to continue talking. Are they it's girls? All, that's all girls. meant to be. Older girl, younger boy. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, crazy. But yes, what you're saying, Eric, really rings true to me that even creativity is a discipline that can be practiced. Mm. And I think that's something that's often lost where people think, oh, I'm just going to wait for this spark to come from on high and I'm gonna, it's going to move me. The spirit's going to move me, but it's really a discipline. And if you think about creative practices, these are daily habits that you need to build in. And I think it's accessible to everyone. And it's just learning how you code and reverse engineer, how am I going to access this fire within me so that I can apply it in different circumstances? But yes, it's a discipline. And I had a guest the other day say, ultimately, it's the, it is the curiosity. And you're talking about, I just want to ask more. I just want to wonder. I just want to dig deep. We call it going down rabbit holes because we just can't stop ourselves sometimes. But I thought the other interesting point that uh, this guest made, Daniela Marzavan, was that there is the listening component, but then there's the translating that we say, we always say, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, you couldn't possibly really know what I mean from that little short answer or that one thing I wrote. And so that continued follow-up and that continued, tell me more, what do you mean? How does that affect your life? That's the curiosity we, we could pursue a lot more, I think. Yeah, and I think that comes through in story. And being a really effective storyteller enables people to find those connection points. It feels relatable. I can imagine Eric's six and nine-year-old because I know that, right? I live that. And so it's finding those points of connection that is a real skill and can be brought into different places in our work. Yeah. What's ahead for you, Eric? We'll start with you. What's in your crystal ball for the new year? <laughs> Uh, thanks for asking. It, it, it's really, I've only become to recently discover that you can set goals and you can do all this New Year's resolution stuff, which anyone who comes into the personal development space realizes that we're setting ourselves up for failure many times when we do that. So I, I stopped doing that. And so what I do now is I set an intention with a couple of words, typically one or two, but this year for 2024, I have two words that I'm focused on, and this will be my North Star. Whenever asking a question, to pursue that opportunity or to partner or work with this client. And, and it's really about number one is production. So like focusing, because as creators, we could tend to like chase many shiny <laughs> objects, right? So I've built a lot of different things, but it's about reduction and, and 
And like in, in, in the culinary universe, we, when you reduce things, get better, more pure, like more, more flavorful. So that's one word. And then the second thing is relationships. That's why I'm here. I'm already starting my goals now because I want to reconnect with you, Mark. I want to reconnect with people that I had really close ties and relationships with. And just because life and business happens, you, you find your way and then hopefully the ships come back. It's a port and relationships is really my focus next year. So reduction relationships, and we'll see where that takes us. Fantastic. And give us a little uh, periscope of what's ahead for you. Yeah. Other than the book launch, I'm going to steal from you, Eric. I love the picking the two words. I love setting an intention. And I think although creativity will always be my big banner, I think the two words for me are connection, connections like this, connections with other folks who are trying to make a positive impact in the world. And then the second word is service. I've worked with incredible clients in my business. I will continue to serve them, but I really want to shift my focus to how I can be of more service to those who are underserved, more in need, those communities that could really benefit from an extra boost. So I really want to draw my attention there. Yeah. Fantastic. Both of like, uh, I, I think of it as the saying yes. And that's where your reduction has to come in because I love to say yes to everything. And, and in fact, I see opportunity everywhere. It's like yesterday it was this and today it's this and tomorrow I'm sure I'll have another call. And it's, wow, that's fantastic. Uh, but to really go deeper and it's not transactional, it's not the idea of the day. It's uh, what is the direction you know, that you want to take? Uh, meaningful. Yeah. I'm sure stuff. you guys have heard this, Mark, just to piggyback up what you're saying in saying yes to everything, especially I remember those days when I first left corporate, it was like so exciting. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do whatever I want. No one's telling me what to do, which is also <laughs> a, a terrible thing. Yes. <laughs> so, and you were also worried about getting the next gig. So I better say yes to this one because yes, I don't know what else. hundred <laughs> percent. And there's definitely a phase <laughs> in business where you have to say yes to everything. But then over time, you realize as you start to do what you do best, and hopefully serve to a degree where you're really bringing a lot of value to these clients or whoever you're serving to the point where you have to reduce, you have to start saying no, because now I've adopted the mantra of every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So you know that whether it's time with our children, not working on a client or being with family, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I'm blessed to be in that phase of life and business where, oh, now I'm recognizing, oh, I'm going to say yes to that, but what's going to suffer as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being conscious of that opportunity cost. Yeah. Yes. 100%. So good. It's been what great. About you, Mark? Time. Oh, my, my intention for the year. Let me take a quick gander at my vision boards back here. I do a new vision board all too often. And uh, again, pretty pictures sometimes, but I want to continue. And this sounds cliche being that we're on a podcast right now, but being a voice for this kind of creativity and even further, maybe for some higher level consciousness, spiritual practices, caring, self-care, caring for others. And I think there's not enough voices for that. And so if I can, and if it's not my voice, we'll bring somebody else to the other microphone and let them share. But I feel like I have a channel or two that let some people say some good things because the mm -hmm. world really needs some good vibes right now. Mark, since this is your 300th and we should be celebrating you as well here, are there a couple of things that happen as a result of the podcast that never would have happened if you didn't create this platform? Yeah, sure. I've been invited to other podcasts that I don't think because we made some of these friendships, connections, relationships. 
But there, there will be a book or two. You think about 300 episodes. There's a lot of good people in there. And I've done some greatest hits from the musicians. I've, I've learned a lot about artists. And again, went to Nashville uh, to meet a couple of them, been to LA to meet a couple of guests live. Once the world started opening up, relationships happened. And I thought they might, because I'm not afraid to get on the plane and go to LA and meet people live. Some people don't want to do that. So they hide behind this podcasting thing. But so I would say meeting new, cool, creative people. And then as what I was saying, the voice, if I can tell their stories in a book that says, here's the lessons I learned from 250, 300 creatives worldwide. That's pretty fun. I've also talked to people in countries I couldn't find on the map. So when I said it was going to be the world of creativity, and then I really found that this is this could be a thing. Find countries when you talk to people in places that, that you wouldn't know about otherwise. And then again, a couple months ago, I went to Oslo to meet some of them. So it was fun. I would say that's the doors that have opened for me, Eric. Amazing. And I and that's why I wanted to have you on. I just, I wouldn't be the podcaster I am today without those few interactions. Because mainly, and I tell every episode, I say this, that it's the confidence to get our work out in the world. And so the practice was the confidence. It's like, I can do this. I can talk to these people. I've, I've never had much of an imposter syndrome. My my ego is pretty strong. Those of the, who know me will agree. <laughs> But it's been fun. It's awesome. Man. I love the, yeah. the mention of creative confidence because I think that is a real barrier for a lot of incredibly creative people is that kind of self-regulation, self-editing, self-criticism. It's so easy to do. And how do you break through to, to connect and find that connection that's authentic without feeling that imposter syndrome that you talked yes, about? exactly. Fantastic. I can't thank you guys enough for coming by our uh, virtual reunion here. And catching up with people from New York to LA, all the way even to Bangkok, Thailand. Congrats, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, congrats, Mark. Thank you. It's amazing, dude. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. This podcast wouldn't happen without you tuning in week over week and learning about all these uh, creative lessons that we gather from the guests. So keep coming back. We're going to continue those around the world journeys. We're not stopping now. We stamp our creative passports in places all over the world to find out how to get inspired, how to organize ideas, and most of all, gain the confidence. And as we've said today, the connections and relationships to launch our work out into the world. So until next time, until episode 301, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. Are you an author who's tired of the long waits and low royalties? Exact Rush is here to change the game. We specialize in publishing with precision, and we get your book to market in just three to six months, not years. But we're not just about books. We also support your photography, web design, and content creation needs. Our focus ranges from spirituality to pop culture, and we're excited about our diverse lineup of upcoming releases. 
So if you're ready to keep more of your hard-earned money and get published faster, Exact Rush is your ticket. Visit exactrush.com and turn your creative dream into a profitable reality today.